0: This podcast is brought to you by VinZero. VinZero pioneers solutions and services to the AEC and manufacturing industries to support NetZero targets. Visit VinZero.com to learn more about how organisations design, build and solve through digitalisation. From VinZero to you, welcome to our Think Future podcast series. Each week we'll share conversations with industry leaders from around the world to find out how they're thinking future. Subscribe to VinZero Think Future for access to more episodes, interviews, and profiles. Jason Harky is the Executive Vice President of External Affairs at the International World Building Institute based in Washington, D.C. Jason, you have a PhD in public policy and a master's degree in journalism and mass communication. You've served in the Clinton administration and the Office for Intergovernmental Affairs. You've led the US Department of Energy efforts to advance energy efficiency, spent nearly a decade as a senior executive for the US Green Building Council, and you are the former president for the Alliance to Save Energy. You've amassed great experience in the green building movement, but today you're working for the world building movement. Share with us
1: a little about your transition. Thanks, Anthea. No, it's a real honor to be on your show today. Um, I've been really lucky as it relates to, to my career, because I set out early on, I wanted to be very active in the sustainability space and that movement, and, and also find opportunities to, uh, you know, use my, my skill and my talent and my training in advocacy and policy. And, and those were kind of those are the two bubbles of the Venn diagram, if you will. That have guided my my career, and I've done a little bit of it all. I had a great start in the Clinton administration. Got to work with policymakers at all levels of government. Did did a lot of work, interestingly enough, with with mayors and governors, and got to see policy making kind of um, being done at at a at a local level. And and the great thing about that is things move quite a bit quicker. So I I had an affinity to that level of of work, policy work. And then I had a chance to uh, be part of the kind of the early sustainability movement by joining on with the U.S. Green Building Council in 2006. Uh, There were only about 60 or so employees. Uh, Things were just kind of clicking. We're just starting to see kind of the the early stages of that hockey curve like adoption and uptake. Um, And I'm really proud of my time there because... uh, you know, policy and and the work that was being done by the federal government, by states, by cities was really driving adoption. In fact, when I started at U.S. Green Building Council, there were only about, uh, you know, maybe half a dozen or so green building policies. uh, And that grew by the time I had left to over 400 cities and communities around the country. So, um, saw tremendous progress there, but again, was illustrative of kind of what I wanted to do and how I wanted to grow the sustainability space. And did a lot of work in classic green building, uh, understanding that that our buildings have a huge impact on the environment, particularly as it relates to climate change. Uh, did a stint at, as you mentioned, at the Department of Energy. I ran the commercial buildings program there, helping. You know, drive market transformation in the commercial building sector. Here in the United States, commercial buildings represent about a fifth of greenhouse gas emissions. Um, I'm, I'm lucky to have worked with a lot of leaders across commercial buildings over the years. And then I ran an energy efficiency nonprofit called the Alliance to Save Energy. And, and they were really focused on what can we do at the federal government level to drive efficiency. The organization has been around for 40 years. Um, it's, it's done so many great things, but I was lured away, as you might say, kind of in this, this, uh, this next journey that I've been on for the last two plus years at the International Well-Building Institute to really think about buildings uh, and, and what they can do for us to help protect, enhance, and promote our health. Um, And, you know, I think back in terms of at least my early training in sustainability and, you know, they used to talk about sustainability in terms of the three P's, right? People, planet, and prosperity. And I know that a lot of what we do is very much focused on how do we avert uh, climate change? How do we make sure we're getting ready, you know, more resilient to some of the changes we're already seeing? And those those efforts are are paramount. They're hugely important. But um, at the same time, what coming over to the IWBI meant to me is a chance to really focus in on what we can do to focus a little bit more on people. And and that was really, really attractive to me. And I've been in the building space by that time for almost 15 years, I think over 15 years. And I think, you know, we we sometimes can be a little bit climate myopic. And stepping back a little bit and thinking about what we were doing at IWBI and, and having a chance to kind of drive this new market transformation uh, that was focused, it, it, are the work that we do, the programs that we have are exclusively focused on human health, but they're in the context of the larger sustainability movement, you know, locking arms with our green building, you know, brothers and sisters, um, you know, thinking about resilience, thinking about equity. So it's, it's, it's integrated but we are trying to lift um, and and renew that priority to people. So again, not as I I think we were talking a little bit backstage, if you (laughs) will, it's not always, your career is not always linear, um, but I really did have these guardrails up where I I really was interested in in thinking about advocacy and policy as a lever for driving change and, and the space that I wanted to work in has always been sustainability. I think that the work we're doing, um, you know, around the world together is collective work to accelerate sustainability is so critical to our future. So it's it's been an absolute passion every day. I don't think I've um, been less excited uh, any day. I just every day I get up and I, I feel like there we're doing imperative work. I feel like there's a, a, a always a sense of urgency. Uh, and I think that's important in what you do, finding that passion. Sure is. And, and it sounds like the
0: IWBI has a goal to drive market transformation, much like you did with green buildings. Um, they talk about an- advancing their mission of people first places. What does that actually
1: mean? It's a great question. And it, it, very similar to USGBC, we are all about market transformation and you know, trying to drive this movement to transform health and well-being with this people-first approach to to buildings, organizations, uh, and communities. And you know, if you step back a little bit, I, where that all uh, the, the genesis of of this idea is is really about the power of the social determinants of health. And I know you've probably talked to some other guests about the the social determinants of health, but they are universally um, you know we double down on on what the research tells us about these social determinants and and the impact it has on public health writ large and it, it's interesting because I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that I think you know a lot of people don't realize and they certainly um, it's it's not said enough our organization tries to say it kind of many many times to to make sure it breaks through but our physical and social environments have a greater bearing on our state of health than our access to healthcare, our lifestyle and behaviors and our genetics combined. So, you know, I'll say that one more time, our physical and social environments, i.e. all the places and spaces where we spend our time, they have a greater bearing on our state of health than our access to healthcare, our lifestyle and behaviors and our genetics combined. And so that's what, Makes the built environment so important, right? Because we spend ninety percent of our lives inside a building. Uh, Dr. Joe Allen, who's with um, you know the, the the Department of Public Health over there at, at Harvard, you know, he says we're an indoor species at this point. We we are inside a building more than some species of whales are underneath the water. I mean, just give you some context.
0: That's incredible.
1: Uh, incredible. So how, you know, a building is designed, how it's constructed, how it's operated, how it's maintained, can have such a profound impact on helping improve employee health and well-being, driving these improvements in productivity that I think we're all kind of in, you know, grappling to to, um, achieve. And then how do we boost recruitment and retention? And then even think about performance more as, um, you know, not just the the building's performance in terms of, let's say, energy efficiency or reduction in GHG, but the human performance. And that's really kind of the work that we're doing day in and day out at IWBI. So
0: can you tell us a little bit about some of the initiatives being driven to accelerate the healthy building movement?
1: Absolutely. First and foremost, we, we are looking at, at levers to drive this transformation. And I think we, we have some of our leadership, myself included, but our current president and CEO, Rachel Hodgson, um, our executive chairman, Rick Vedrizi, we all hail originally from the U.S. Green Building Council. So we, one, we know what it means to have a roadmap that helps direct the market to move towards what we think is leadership. Um, and we've created that roadmap. That was debuted back in 2014 called the Well Building Standard. And the Well Building Standard is exactly that it's this market transformation tool that helps anyone across the market, any building typology, to demonstrate leadership in health and well being. We've got 10 concepts air, water, nourishment, light, movement, thermal comfort, sound, materials uh mind and community and and those concepts are not ripped out of the sky kind of in some haphazard way these are all the areas of of, of all the re- the product of all the research and development that we've done and tried to translate that research into practice and said hey what are the interventions at in a building that can help promote enhance protect Human health, uh, and so everything that we do is backed by evidence, backed by the research, backed by the science, across those ten categories, again to help um, advance and and improve human health. And so the well building standard is our is our principal tool for market transformation. I, you know, this is probably the the subsequent you know follow up question here, and Theo, I'll jump to it. But where are we? And, I, you know, I've, it's been an incredible journey over the last two plus years of my time here at IWBI. When I started, we were, as an organization, we were just hitting 500 million square feet of real estate around the world using the well-building standard uh, or, or, or some portion of its ecosystem. We've got these other um, adjacent ratings. We are now um, at over 3.4 billion square feet of real estate in 111 countries, a fifth of the Fortune 500, uh, you know, we've got kind of the, the market uptake and adoption graph on the front page of our website, and it looks like that hockey stick. And it's a little bit deja vu for me because, again, we saw that type of adoption and uptake in the green building sector, and, and we're seeing it again very much so in this, uh, in this healthy buildings movement do you think much of that's been driven by the pandemic i think it is i you know i think the um, we were seeing really rapid adoption before then uh, i think the the drivers certainly are are more pronounced i think there many of the many of the things that that folks were doing and why they were driving into the health and well-being space from a real estate standpoint things like um, retention and recruitment that, that might have been nice to haves when when the pandemic hit absolutely converted to must-haves um, so there there has been an the, the pandemic was certainly an accelerant obviously there's been a, a tremendous amount of awareness building that the the pandemic has has brought i mean it's one of the silver linings that we you know you can't bump into somebody who doesn't understand the importance of let's say indoor air quality and the air that we breathe and the air that we're all sharing inside a building the importance of ventilation and uh you know our, our hvac systems and and what those air exchange <laughs> rates are right i bumped into a a fellow parent here and we we're talking about our school and and all of a sudden the the parent was trying to school me on on you know air exchange rates and i, I think i know a little bit about that myself too so um that's been I think that's been really, really good to have those uh points of connectivity uh that we're all making and, and that understanding certainly has made I think healthy buildings a not just a nice to have but a an, an absolute expectation. Uh I often talk about as folks are going back into the market, you know, we think about this confidence gap, this health confidence gap. Uh And I think, you know, whether, you know, you you work for a a Fortune 500 company or you work for a mom and pop business on Main Street, uh, employees wanna know what you're doing to prioritize health. So health is front and center. Um, I think it's been, as some called it in the early days, a paradigm shock. I think it certainly has been a, a concrete, enduring paradigm shift where health is something that we think about. I don't know if everybody always thinks about it from the healthy buildings context, but we are absolutely driving these solutions in the healthy buildings movement.
0: So I know on your website, it talks about prevention, preparedness, resilience and recovery, and you've laid out research approaches and operational strategies to deliver these well solutions, as you call them. What do some of the solutions actually look like?
1: It's a great question. I you know in the in the context of uh, the pandemic, we initially put together, just to give you a little bit more context, we initially put together a task force on COVID-19. We reached out to our community. We didn't know exactly what you know who, who would step forward. At the end of the day, we had over 600 experts from around the world step up to join us. To think about what those solutions should look like in the context of mitigating COVID-19 or any future threat, really. But what are the the, the most pertinent things that we could do? Um, one of the products that, that emanated out of that was the Well Health Safety Rating. Uh, that was launched in the summer of 2020, um, and it hasn't been it's been embraced by by the market as a, a series of strategies that, that can be taken on and and demonstrated uh, as it relates to the operations and maintenance of a building, including emergency planning. So how do we ensure that we are doing everything we can within the power of the building uh, on, on indoor air quality and water management, water quality, emergency planning, um, cleanliness and sanitization? Um, all of those things were Actually, components of the larger, more comprehensive well-building strategy, but this became a, a a distinct leadership mark in the context of of the pandemic. Obviously, there are kind of more in, in intensive interventions related to indoor quality that I think have have um, have taken root. How do you redesign HVAC systems? How are you optimizing for for ventilation? Um, some of those. Some of those solutions, I think, are a little bit, you know, they're either more expensive um, and they're needed, but how do you offset some of those expenses is a a second part of the question. What I think was interesting about the well health safety rating is it got companies engaged and gave them an on-ramp into what is the healthy building journey, right? We always say that in the sustainability space, it's about the journey, not the destination. And that's exactly what's happened. We're seeing uh, companies who are enrolling their entire portfolios in the well health safety rating, um, you know, J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, the Yankees, uh, we're seeing LendLease, you know, huge um, commercial building real estate portfolios jump in and then continue the journey all the way to the, the more comprehensive uh, well building standard
0: and they're increasingly including well-being in their ESG reporting aren't they so what what seems to be driving
1: that trend that's uh, that's a great question it's really interesting one because uh, you know the 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 idea that investors are asking for metrics and indicators related to human social capital um, and how that might impact the business is is one that will never go unanswered again. It's interesting because right before the pandemic, there were a couple of these ESG arbiters, some of these organizations that that were, I'll I'll put it more diplomatically, they were either neglecting, some were outright dismissing uh, the materiality of health. And and that's really interesting because months later, you have a pandemic, and it's it's not only undeniable, but then it's it's um, it's universal. So it was, you know, hitting and affecting everybody. And so one of the things that, that we've seen over the last several years is a, um, a a convergence around, you know, what the role that health and well-being plays in real estate. As it relates to, um, you know, transparency back to investors, it, and it, it's become a, a tremendous driver of, of well building because those investors are looking for specific metrics and indicators, many of which you can find in well building, that then can be reported up all the way uh, into your ESG or your CSR reports. Um, what's interesting thing about that is that you know companies spend you know, 90% of their expenses are on people. So it's a really, you know, we, we are, you know, the expenditure is there. How are you maximizing for productivity? How are you, it's kind of all the, the ROI components. How are you maximizing for, you know, premium rents and lease up rates? How are you maximizing for, you know, retention and recruitment? We've got a talent war going on right now. Um, we've got a great resignation going on how do we make that a great retention so all of these factors that we look at in the well building standard speak to uh, very definitive metrics indicators data points that will help companies boost their ESG scores which is how it should be and I think what we've what we've done and it's not we' we're, we're not there yet but I, I think we've we've corrected quite a bit in the last two years as it relates to making sure that we have this virtuous feedback cycle where investors are looking for data that that correlate with improved human and social capital. Uh, and then how does that help them make better decisions, but also how does it make the company better? Absolutely. So that's a really important thing. And, and that continues to be a driver uh, in everything that, that's happening in the space
0: and and in terms of uh, great places to work, you know there's an absolute convergence of of the green building concept together now with the world building concept, and I think we talked initially when I met you recently about uh, sustainable and well, which is the national University of Singapore's first purpose built net zero building, and we talked about that demonstrating the achievement of both high efficiency as well as wellness. Can you share a little bit more about projects like that or about that project?
1: Sure, you know, one of the things that I think is, is critical to the uh, to, to kind of winning on sustainability is integration. And, you know, our, um, our executive chairman at IWBI, Rick Fedrizzi, was the founder of the US Green Building Council back in 1993. He was a uh, the president and CEO of USGBC for about 15 years. It's who I worked for when I was there for my almost 10 years, um, and and then and now. So when I while at USGBC and and now while at IWBI, he's always said that sustainability is about two things: planetary health and human health. I think the way that he 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 kind of captures the the progression is that in the, the the kind of the first phase of sustainability, a lot of the focus was on planetary health. And um, and we were thinking about what does a climate friendly building look like? How do we drive energy efficiency? How do we reduce resources and, and better use uh, our water resources? How do we reduce material waste? All those things. Um, I think what we're seeing, particularly with the rise of, of well buildings is um, you know, this, this second phase focused on, on human health, second phase, but not, you know, separate again, planetary and human health are one and the same and winning on, on a a green building has to be married with winning on a healthy building. And so there's a lot of cross-pollinization. There's a lot of a tremendous synergy. Um, I, I said before that, you know, whether it's the U.S. Green Building Council or other green building councils around the world, we have, you know, very strong relationships with those folks. We are in a, um, you know, an effort, a, a very urgent effort to make sure that we are going as fast as we can together. Um, we've got crosswalks as it relates to WELL and many of those green leading green building programs around the world, which I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of. So it makes those types of projects as you're talking about in Singapore, um, you know, very easy to do at this stage. And so there is an opportunity to be, uh, you know, just as ambitious and aggressive on climate solutions in real estate as it is on, on these healthy building solutions. And I think that's a great thing. I think that's where we need to go. I don't think we're done there though. So, you know, I again, I, I've done a lot of work with, um, you know, at at the at the center of thinking about buildings in terms of integration. Even when I was at the Department of Energy, where I, we, I mean, you talk about being siloed. We were just solely focused on energy efficiency, but you know, you you could see the offshoots of connectivity back to indoor air quality, back to um, back to climate back to resilience, and and I think we need to make sure that we continue to move in that integrated fashion so um, our buildings really are living up to the promises uh, and and the opportunities that they represent to help solve climate change, to help promote and enhance people's health, to make sure that we're more climate resilient, And, and this one is a little bit emerging and nascent, but the role of real estate as it relates to equity, Um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Those are are really important um, opportunities for the real estate sector to lead. And we've been doing some work on that as well um, that I'm I'm excited about as, you know, it, it kind of on the horizon.
0: Are you looking for a digitalization and net zero partner to help you achieve your goals? Join the thousands of AEC and manufacturing customers globally have turned to VinZero to start their journey toward a net zero future with 32 offices around the world VinZero can connect you to the right technologies and workflow processes so you can maintain your competitive position and increase profitability VinZero has an industry expert to help you navigate the best pathway forward wherever you are on your digitalization and net zero journey visit VinZero.com to find out more So what is the evidence-based research behind the statement that healthier organizations outperform their peers?
1: You know, I think from the, the real estate standpoint, it goes back to some of the things that that you'll hear that green buildings were able to do. Uh, well buildings correlate as well with things like um, lease up rates, rent premiums, um, lease terms, and that's been much more um, uh, of, a, of a connection point recently on, in, the, in the time of, of the pandemic and trying to bridge this health confidence gap, right? So if, if you're, um, let's say, you know, you're getting ready to try to lease out some space in Washington DC and, and you're able to say that the, the space you're leasing is well-certified that's a big, big deal right now in, in the market. Uh, So the, the market, I I think signal is very much aligned with where we're going in terms of driving, accelerating human health. But I think the, 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 one of the issues that doesn't always play out as much kind of when you drill in at the real estate level and you have to kind of zoom out to the organizational level and that's productivity. Productivity is, in many respects, like the holy grail. If you can improve productivity by modest percentages, you can have a, a enormous effect on a company um, and uh, and and you know driving revenue and 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 everything else. So you know we've seen those studies. Um, Come up. They're they're obviously more difficult to to do because you really have to. It's harder to get into kind of more experiment style research. So you have to kind of think across multi variables. But we are seeing it. Uh, I mentioned Joe Allen earlier. He's done some really important work as it relates to uh, the impacts that that indoor air quality, improved indoor air quality, has on on cognitive ability. So kind of they're dubbed the Cog X. Um, effect that if you're improving indoor air quality, you know, ventilation, uh, your CO2 levels are down, um, you can make sure that you're actually helping improve people do difficult tasks. Um, that's, a, that's an amazing uh, piece of evidence that, that shows this connectivity back to not just the, the health and well-being of the people inside those buildings, but their ability to be productive. And there's, and I think there's something bigger at play. I mean, after two years of fighting a global pandemic, you know, we can't underestimate how important our mental health is.
0: Absolutely. And,
1: and, and, you know, our, our state of mind, our happiness um, those are important things we're, we're hearing now from some of our partners who are, you know, developers who are saying, you know, I don't see myself as just kind of leasing out a a space. I see myself as, uh, you know, helping retain and attract a talent. I see myself as making sure that once those folks are, are inside our building, are performing at their best. Um, and I think that ties back to this, this larger ROI conversation. There's the improved he- employee health and wellness. Uh, there are some synergies as it relates to utility savings and maintenance savings that are um, consonant with what you'll see on the green building side. Um, retention and recruitment is is really really big. I think retention in particular right now, especially since you're seeing, you know, um, a lot of folks move on. Uh, so those things have huge positive uh, value in the in the research they sure do extremely compelling case um when you when you actually look at the the like net present value per employee or the net present value per square foot um, and correlate that back to to healthy building
0: so just back on the uh uh, back on that conversation around the great resignation and even you know coming out of the, the pandemic there's definitely a global conversation going on now around workplaces of the future and and how organizations can bring their workforces back together. What role do you see IWBI playing there specifically?
1: I think it's going to have a big role. Um, I I think we'll continue to see the market move in this direction uh, for many of the reasons that we just outlined and discussed. I I think the, the future of work and the return to office will probably look a little different. Uh, we're talking a lot about kind of this hybrid model flexibility is is a term that I think is here to stay uh, you know we we know that that employees based on surveys from uh, a whole host of of different organizations have shown that um, employees are happier they they feel better when they have some, some built-in flexibility. So that's, and then a lot of that's built into our system, right? We wanna make sure that we're incentivizing that. I think that there's gonna be a, a bigger role to play in terms of what does working from home look like, how we make sure that, that those same types of solutions and strategies and interventions can be deployed at home uh, that you're, you know, you're set up at an ergonomic space. You may have your standing desk both at home and at the office. Um, and so we're not kind of going back and, and having kind of a, a space that's conducive uh, to health and then one that's not. So those are absolutely issues that are being worked through. Um, but I, it, it's, it's something that is carrying over um, from the work that we're doing in, in well buildings and the healthy building space. Uh, writ large, um, we're actually doing some really interesting work focused in on the residential sector as we speak, we put together this really rich um, uh, group of this advisory group made up of of experts and folks from uh, the the residential market leading developers, and, and we're seeing how some of these same solutions can be deployed at the residential scale. I think that's going to be very, very much important. Is again, as we think about the the hybrid model, the other thing that we we talked about is for commercial real estate. I think, and and, and this is this is not novel, somewhat hackneyed at this point, but um, this is this is not a nice to have anymore. This is a expectation. This is something that is needed. You know, health well being. Strategies, practices, best practices. These have to be deployed if we're going to help people get back to the office and feel confident about being back in the office. Um, Honeywell did a study, a, a, a survey this year that showed that that folks, 72% of folks, are still worried about coming back to the office uh, because of health concerns um, and 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 worries about about health. So we have some work to do. And I think that again, what we offer at IWBI and Well, but you know, this is these are open book strategies. These are things that that aren't trade secrets that folks can do um, right now to lead on on making sure that those employees feel safe uh, and that they know that their health is being prioritized when they come back to office. I think that's a really good
0: good segue into what I was going to ask next, which is for organizations that are perhaps haven't yet made a start or are looking to advance and prioritize wellness across their their
1: business or their building, where is the best place to start? It's a great question. I, I think that one of the things that talked a lot about the the launch of our our well health safety uh, rating and that program in the summer of twenty twenty, that really has been an incredible onboarding program for for organizations, whether you're you're doing a, a tenant fit out. And so you're doing maybe a small space inside a building. You're doing an entire portfolio. Um, but that has been a, a really first step opportunity for folks because it's focused on operations and maintenance and those interventions that help make sure that you're and show accountability and leadership uh, in in air, in water quality, in emergency planning, in uh, cleanliness and sanitization, uh, part of it is, and I've always said this in, in, in the building space, <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting, um, you know, real estate is, is cautious. And, and I, you know, as, as these new strategies kind of come to the fore, we used to say, or even new to specific new technology, we used to say, you know, everybody's first in line to be second. Um, because going first is, you know, is take some risk. And again, you know, largely risk averse sector, which I get. Um, but these are now such proven uh, strategies, proven technologies, evidence-based. And it, now it's all about getting on the escalator. So, you know, if you think about getting on that escalator, and if you have something that is opportunity for folks to take those first steps, like the well health safety rating really pin down um lead by example on what you're doing in terms of your operations and maintenance in terms of air quality water quality emergency planning those things um that's a tremendous first step and and what's it's it's not long before you look around and you say okay now what next can i do and so you're moving up the escalator and i think that's where you can look to uh the uh the, the the entirety and the more comprehensive uh, well building standard to go further and get higher up the the escalator.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, a really clear on ramp and and obviously there's just so much happening in your space. So so when you think future for your industry beyond all the things that you've talked about so far, what what is it that has you most excited?
1: I'm going to parlay this answer to to talk a little bit about policy and then and then. Really get into the answer, but I I've, I've been excited these these last couple of years about the advocacy and policy space. Um, I, I don't know if if we had a chance to talk about it, Anthea, before the call, but there's there's been some really interesting um, work in the in the advocacy arena here in the United States, where folks from across the building industry and and these building specific trade organizations and groups have come together to better focus on what healthy workplace policy could look like in the future. And so IWBI partnered up with groups like the American Institute of Architects, the ASHRAE uh, organization, which represents all of the HVAC engineers here in the United States, the Building Owners and Managers Association, the Real Estate Roundtable, um, the um, uh, Institute for for facility management association, Green Seal, USGBC, uh, the uh, American Society of, of Interior Designers, all of these groups, plus another 30, 35 or so industry leaders from the private sector have all teamed up to say, what can we do from a policy perspective, a federal policy perspective, to accelerate uh, healthy workplaces? I, I think that's a tipping point because it's it's really showing what's going on um, and how important this is to move faster. And and lawmakers are looking at these opportunities very, very seriously. In the last year or so, we've seen uh, half a dozen pieces of legislation that would in- financially incentivize many of the same uh, prescriptions that we have in well and in the well health safety rating for businesses across the country. So it, we're, we're definitely kind of seeing this um the 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 policy space jump in in a big way, thinking about uh, healthy buildings and again accelerating healthy building strategies, um, knowing that there are some financial barriers for for businesses uh, across the country, particularly after um, you know two years of of dealing with the pandemic and and you know long stretches of hardship. So that's that's one thing. The the other space, and this is kind of where I'll really dive into my more discreet answer. We've done a lot of work with cities over the years. Uh, we had a partnership announced a couple of years ago where we were working with the uh, National League of Cities, a great organization. They represent 2,400 cities and, and towns across the country. I think their membership represents 200 million people here in the United States. Um, and I'm, I always, revel in the the way that cities can move quickly uh to advance you know solutions they did they were a huge player in the green building movement and um we are in the throes of creating what we're calling a well city program and it's very much focused on how cities can play a role how what levers do they have at their disposal to to play a role to be a catalyst for healthy buildings in their community. How can they lead by example? So how are they doing it with their own public municipal buildings, um, their green spaces, their parks? Um, how are they deploying these, these solutions that we know have tremendous public health benefit? And then how do they think of additional policies or programs that they can deploy in their communities that would um, you know, incent the private sector to do the same? And so that effort is underway. We recently announced a, uh, a well City advisory made up of over 50 experts from around the world, very much focused on, on thinking this program through and what it would look like. Uh, we've got great partners like the National League of Cities. And already, just from you know, those, those early days of kind of drilling down, cities have can, come to us knocking on the door saying, hey, what can we do right now? What are the solutions that we can deploy right now? The city of Miami has really jumped in. Uh, The the mayor there, Mayor uh, Francis Suarez, has been a tremendous leader. He has jumped in in a major way. He's also the current president of the US Conference of Mayors, where he works very closely with mayors all across the country Um, and, and, really wants to make sure he's doing everything he can in the city of Miami to walk the walk. And so they're deploying the well health safety rating across a significant tranche of, of their public buildings. But it's the, it, it's that recurring conversation that we're having with other mayors and other cities. Austin has been deploying uh, well buildings, Portland, Chicago has a policy that recognizes uh, the well building standard. And, and so I'm really excited about you know, kind of adding this ally that that are our cities, not just here in the United States, but around the world to join us in making sure that the benefits of healthy buildings are reaching all of those communities everywhere. So
0: Jason, we've talked a little bit about cities. You mentioned to me earlier some work that's going on in the education space. What can you tell us about that?
1: You know, schools has been a an area where, very special to many of us at IWBI. I've done a lot of advocacy work in the, in the school sector. I see it as one of the most important sectors where we have to move. It, it almost It's a sector that should be first, right? Um, and, and our current president and CEO, Rachel Hodgson, she was, before coming to IWBI, she was the founding director of the Center for Green Schools at USGBC. And so we've we've done some really important work over the years in the school space. This last year, we were kind of able to bring back the the a group that had put out this seminal report in 2016 called the State of Our Schools Report. And uh, Rachel was still with the U.S. Green Building Council. I had just jumped over to the Department of Energy. But that uh, that that first State of Our Schools report showed that. Uh, the annual funding shortfall for school facilities in the United States was $46 billion a year. And um, for a variety of reasons, the report had not been done since 2016. And yet uh, the United States was looking at a series of of infrastructure investments and and our organization teamed up with the 21st Century School Fund to, to resuscitate it. And we relaunched and redid the effort over the course of 2021, and in September of 2021, we we reintroduced the state of our schools report. And and Thea, you know, it it it's it's almost painful to, to talk about the findings. We found that um, five years later, we are now seeing a uh, a shortfall. Of infrastructure investment in school facilities of $85 billion every single year. Our schools still need so much more attention, especially if we want them to be leading on health and well being, if we want them to be leading on climate and um, resilience. They should be the sector that is prioritized first, along with other priority sectors like healthcare and affordable housing and and senior housing.
0: I think it's important we shine the light, not just on the great results that are being achieved, but also where the work is still to be done. So thanks for sharing. I feel our conversation today has been really insightful. It's been great to develop understanding of the value of investing in human and social capital, and definitely to hear about the success that IWBI and indeed whole organizations and even cities are achieving in creating and building people first places. So, Jason, thank you so much for coming on the program today,
1: and we definitely look forward
0: to having you back another time.
1: That sounds great. And thanks again, Anthea, for having me. This was a, a delight and pleasure. It's great to be talking with you.
0: This podcast was brought to you by VinZero. VinZero helped the AEC and manufacturing industries keep pace with digital change and achieve their technological and sustainability leadership goals. VinZero is a company that cares about creating and building a better world. Together, we are working with industry and environmental experts, providing forums and platforms through our VinZero Think community to create conversations that matter to our future generations. We invite you to join in the conversation and participate in our Think community. Like and subscribe to Think Future to stay up to date with the latest innovations and conversations as we take AEC and manufacturing around the world closer to zero. You can download our podcasts at VinZero.com or from your favourite podcast platform. From VinZero Think Future, thanks for listening.